Hi, it's Nick Brown, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease in Childhood. Welcome to the August Atoms. End of term report. Brown, you may discuss your report with the head now. You should know there are some issues. Many of you will have similar recollections of mid-July during their school days. The annual feedback lurking snake-like in the reeds. Freedom to enjoy the summer holidays, never granted until the teacher's handwritten, often indecipherable words, had been parentally decodified at home. My own Achilles heel, art and literature were perennial causes of deep sighs. I acknowledge that the sick men of my primary school art failed to evolve into anything more than uncannily similar stick figure men figures over the course of my pre-teenage years, the point at which my metaphorical knotted sheets and I furnished escape. Are we also collectively guilty of leaving our socks, proverbially, at ankle length in places? Asthma Priorities So we kick off with a blistering pair of editorials which eviscerate a common practice from opposite, but not necessarily mutually exclusive angles. You can decide this. The first is by Ian Cena, and argues the case for the replacement of prednisolone with dexamethasone in acute asthma attacks, as they've been doing in his centre. The ubiquitous prednisolone is, its detractors assert, known for its gustatory, olfactory and visual unpalatability. Once sampled, no child ever trusts pink medicine again. Its metagenic capacity and potential for non-compliance, given the three-day rather than one-day course, often cited as additional drawbacks. Mark Levy and colleagues challenged the need for the abandonment of prednisolone, largely based on the lack of hard evidence. This is where interpretation has to be disentangled from personal biases. Not easy, and the reality is that even the most robust meta-analyses can't always furnish us with, inverted commas, the answers. I could, but won't take sides on this just now, as it would spoil your fun to an extent. But perhaps this is too close to call. And as long as the right children, the school-age ones, get some steroids of one hue or another early on, and the wrong children, most preschoolers, don't, that might be a reasonable compromise. And there are, of course, other high-profile priorities too. Where do we stand on the use of high protracted courses of beta agonists? After discharge, a tradition, but one which comes with it unavoidably multiple side effects. The underuse of inhaled steroids, long-acting beta agonist combinations. I'm already looking forward to the next round of discussions. The UK, and we can shoegaze all we like, is a perennial could-do-better end-of-report C-grade performer. Not, of course, as bad as my F-grade art, what could be, but how hard can it be to get at least a B-grade? Neonatal sepsis, some new data. So a great deal of credit is due for progress through the millennium and early sustainable development goal eras. The data can't disguise the areas where little changed. Until recently, at least, perinatal mortality was one of these. A rule of thumb reminder, in most low and middle income countries, infant mortality accounts for about two thirds of all under five mortality. Of infant mortality, so under ones, about two-thirds is neonatal in the first month, and of neonatal, about two-thirds is perinatal, deaths in the first week. 
and immediately before delivery. And the causes are consistent. Prematurity, asphyxia and sepsis, counting for the vast majority. Sepsis, of course, a dysregulated host immune response to infection, to which neonates are exquisitely sensitive. We like to think we have a ballpark idea of the burden of peri and neonatal death globally, but this ballpark is, let's be honest, pretty elastic. Caroline Fleischmann and colleagues' particular systematic review and meta-analysis brings some clarity, not only in overall sepsis load, but, and this is particularly useful in antibiotic selection, the early and late onset phenotypes. Of the total screened 26 studies between 1979 and 2019 met the criteria, including a tight sepsis definition. We included accounting for 2.8 million live births and close to 30,000 sepsis. Random effects meta-analysis estimated an incidence rate of 2,800 per 100,000 births, with a case fatality of 17.6%, so about 1 in 50. Between 2009 and 18, the incidence was markedly worse, however, at 3,400 effectively. This isn't a finding we can simply dismiss under the smokescreen of ascertainment bias, oh, we're better at looking for it, and improvement of criteria. Nope. Take a look at the beta-lactam fourth-generation cephalosporin carbapenem and linezolid resistance patterns in other studies, and one can only conclude that this is not good news. The 10-4 Bruise Clinical Decision Rule, BCDR, was first reported by Pierce in 2010. It was estimated that bruising on the torso, ear or neck for a child less than 48 months of age and bruising in any region for an infant of less than four months of age in the absence of a publicly witnessed injury had a sensitivity of 97% and a specificity of 84% for predicting abuse. Using data from previous studies on patterns in day-to-day -day bruising, NAI and inherited bleeding disorders, Alison Kemp and colleagues refined the tool to test its ability to differentiate between bruise distribution phenotypes. Applying 10-4 to children under 4 years of age with at least one bruise had an estimated sensitivity of 69% and specificity for abuse of 74%. Figures that will ultimately inform how we report and how a court interprets findings in an area where uncertainty is the rule. Other than the surgical approach having changed from scalpel to laparoscope, the individual and family experience of appendicitis as a package in terms of Inpatient time, discomfort and cost has changed little in the recent past. For such a common entity, exploring new alternatives, this was always going to be necessary, and the surgery versus antibiotic expectant hypothesis is one such avenue. The contract study, one of a series of RCTs testing the effectiveness of treating children with uncomplicated, for example unperforated, appendicitis with parenteral antibiotics rather than surgery was one. Bold, but not unreasonable given the objective equipoise and long experience of this approach in some other countries. It's likely that the results of those RCTs will determine the route children take for years, if not decades. The trial feasibility study undertaken by Nigel Hall and colleagues lent weight to parents' enthusiasm, 50% enrolment after approach, acceptability of randomization, and patient and surgeon adherence to trial 
protocols. Pretty impressive. Watch this space on that one. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check out the website on adc.bmj.com. I'll see you again in a month's time. Have a good summer. Bye for now.